Pastor Xavier Reese describes why man is without hope, save for the simple truths of the gospel. The condition of all men and women is the same. Jew or Gentile. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10 says. None seek after God. We always say, well, how about that good moral person? How about that Buddhist? How about that Zen guy? How about... And they're seeking God. No, no, they're not seeking God. They're seeking peace, power. They're seeking comfort, but they're not seeking God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Since the Greek term for pastor is translated as shepherd, the implication for leading a flock of believers is plain to see. And thus Scripture is very clear in setting the nature or priorities of one serving as pastor. And in the conclusion of a message begun last time, titled, The Pastor's Priorities Regarding the Gospel, Pastor Xavier turns back to the pages of Acts chapter 20, where we see Paul instructing the Ephesian elders three key God-honoring principles in service of the gospel. Man must serve God before he can serve man. He must first be a partakers of his fruits before he can give that to anybody else. That's why David told Solomon, his son, that very principle. Know the God of your father. He tells Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 2.6, the husbandman must first be partakers of his fruits. In that passage in David and Solomon's in 1 Chronicles 28.9. See, you can't give something you don't have. Before you can give somebody the measles, you've got to have them. Notice here, the service to God is of complete commitment, Paul says. The service is after the nature of a bond slave. One who serves his master for life by choice. This goes back to the Old Testament. You know, when the slave served for six years or seven years, released. he didn't want to be released. He'd tell his master he would take him with the elders and take him to the door of his house and, and put it by the doorpost and with an awl and hammer, make a hole in his ear, give him an earring. He was a slave for life, a bond slave by choice because he felt his master was the best thing for him. This is a characteristic of this bond servant, the service. The word is used of the servant's service to his master in those days. Uh, Ephesians 6, 7, and 8, Colossians 3, 23, and 24. Listen, he says, With good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men. So the faithfulness that is done to men, first of all, is because you're doing it as unto the Lord. Once a man is serving God, then and only then will he be able to serve man effectively. Notice verse 20. The service to the church is in view of their benefit. And how? I kept back nothing that was helpful. Paul did not keep back or withhold anything that was profitable for their lives, be it material or spiritual. But he's dealing here primarily with the spiritual. The purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. That you not be tossed to and fro with every one of doctrine, deception, but you come to the full stature of the fullness in Christ. Edified in love. Notice the Apostle Paul ministered also from house to house. This was the practice of Paul at Ephesus. For remember that the early church did not meet in buildings, but in homes. Buildings came way afterwards. The synagogue excommunicated the Jews who embraced the gospel as we see through the book of Acts. Even as they rejected the preaching of Paul. 
Paul at Philippi went to the house of Lydia, remember? And baptized her, Acts 16, 15. He went to the house of the Philippian jailer after the earthquake, and he accepted the Lord, and then his family accepted the Lord in Acts 16, 31 through 34. And this was after the example again of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he taught at the house of Simon, the Pharisee, Zacchaeus, Mary, Martha, and many others, I'm sure. And he, he went out of his way to minister on the one-on-one, on the house, whatever it was, whatever the need was. Listen to Paul the Apostle as he gives a double analogy that's found nowhere else in Scripture in Ephesians about husbands and wives' love for each other and the church in Christ. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The shepherd's service to the church is through the word of God. I cannot do anything for you except give you the word of God. I cannot change you. I cannot uh, convince you. I cannot do anything. The Holy Spirit and the word of God has to transform your heart and mind as you yield to him. When Jesus restored Peter, he asked him three times if he loved him. And Jesus told Peter, first, tend to my sheep. Second, feed my lambs. And third, feed my sheep in Luke 21, 15 through 16. Care for them, protect them, feed them. That's the job of a shepherd. Peter was writing to the dispersed Jews, as you know, in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4. And he addresses the shepherds of the flock and he says this, The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, not the Pope, but a fellow elder, and also partake of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Incredible exhortation. The pastor's service is then secondly to the church. But it comes because the service is first to God. If I try to serve you, I won't serve the Lord faithfully. I have to serve the Lord. And then I I have a chance of being a good shepherd. You understand? The pastor's service then is to the sinner. Third of all, the pastor is not only a servant to the saint, but to the sinner. That may sound strange. Notice the service to the sinner is to be without partiality. Testifying to the Jew and also to the Greek. The Jew was first, having the greater responsibility of receiving the law. Genesis 12, 1 and 2, to the Jew belong the promises of God from Abraham to Malachi. God chose one man, he made a nation. To the Jew were committed the oracles of God, the word of God, Romans 3, 2. What advantage has a Jew in every way? To him were committed the oracles, the word of God. To those as much is given, much is required, right? 
Your child is a year old, you deal with him a little different than a 13-year-old, right? He's been with you longer. He knows more. Jesus said that he came to his own, but his own received him not in John 1.11. His own nation, his own people. The Jew was first in terms of privilege and responsibility, not superiority. Keep that in mind. Romans 1, 16, 17, the Jew first in terms of time, not superiority. He came to his own first. To them was the greater responsibility. They failed the test. The Jew was not saved by works. He was saved by faith in Messiah to come. They had mistaken the relationship to God. The term Pharisee is synonymous with hypocrisy. You see yourself as something you're really not. You see yourself as something that is perfection or something that meets the mark. But the mark is Jesus Christ and perfection. The law demonstrates our imperfection. The law condemns us, accuses us. We're lawbreakers. You've all been down in some place where you just painted freshly the wall or something. And it says... Don't touch wet paint. What do you do? You, you touch it. Because law provokes me to break it. You tell your little child, don't touch that. They'll go, you tell them touch it. They won't even touch it. It's the rebellionness in us. The Greek was next. Being the recipient of God's grace apart from the law. The promise of the Gentiles, the Greeks... Was through the promise of Abraham. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12.3 The Gentile were always included with the call of Abraham. It was not plan B in case plan A failed. Paul makes this very clear. Galatians 3.8 The woman of Samaria simply believed in Jesus and confessed him in John 4. She was not a proselyte to the law. The Samaritans believed at the preaching of Philip. They were saved. Then John and the others came down, laid hands on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The house of Cornelius, as Peter is preaching, before he even gets done, as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They receive gifts. The two manifested were tongues and prophecy. The gospel reached Antioch. And the Gentiles rejoiced. And it was through them that the three missionary journeys went forth to the Gentiles. And so, thank God for the clarity that the church was not an extension of Judaism. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. There is no distinction. Scythian, bond, free, male, female. The Scythian was that northern tribe that would take their enemies and capture them and decapitate them and then boil their skulls and skin them and use them for drinking vessels. Now Paul says, Scythians can be saved. I presume you qualify. That's what grace can do. That's what the gospel does. The law accuses me. Grace draws me and forgives me and transforms me. The condition of all men and women is the same. Jew or Gentile. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 says. In fact, he's quoting the Psalms and he goes on to say, None seek after God. We always say, well, how about that good moral person? How about that Buddhist? How about that Zen guy? How about, you know, they're, and they're seeking God. No, no, they're not seeking God. They're seeking peace. 
They're seeking power. They're seeking fame. They're seeking money. They're seeking comfort. But they're not seeking God. We either believe what God says that no one is seeking God or God's a liar. Which way are we going to have it? People are seeking. They're seeking many things, but not God. It's not till the gospel proclaimed that people are convicted of their sins and then they look to God. Apart from the gospel, you cannot be saved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. What's the glory? Perfection. Anybody willing to stand up? <laughs> the standard is Jesus. Now, now we've got a problem, don't we? <laughs> man is without God, without hope in the world. A dark definition of man, Ephesians 2, 12 through 16. Now notice the service to the sinner is also to be called the repentance. It's very specific. You didn't call sinner, sinners, sinner. No, no, no. You call them the repentance. You don't just call them. Some churches you think that that's all they're doing. You're to call them the repentance. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Repentance is one of, of one sin against God because that's the way it, it, it most naturally is. It's not against man, it's against God. This is the primary offense of sin. It's not against man, but against God. That's why David could say in Psalm 51, against you and only you have I sinned, Lord. How could he say that? He sinned with Bathsheba and against Uriah. Kill him. Because he understood the sin is first against God, then secondly, with and against man. Repentance is a change of mind with a change of life, not like that of the world that brings forth death, 2 Corinthians 7, 10. Because there's no change. The regret of the world is emotional and is usually because of the consequence. Oh. But after the tears, we'll be back at it next week. But the conviction of repentance means that you see the sin against God and you turn from it 180 degrees by the work of the Spirit of God. Change your heart. Repentance includes acknowledgement of your sin. Confession of your sin. Abandonment of your sin. And whenever possible, restitution of your sin. It's not always possible. Sometimes you would just open a can of worms. So you have to use wisdom. But that's biblical repentance. Acknowledgement, confession, abandonment, and restoration when you can make it. Jesus said he came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous in Matthew 9.13. I presume we all qualify. Notice faith is towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in him being a sin sacrifice for me. Very personal. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him to be sin for me who knew no sin that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now who do you think got the best deal? <laughs> a holy God for a, a holy sinful man. Wow. Faith in him to forgive me of my sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 His grace is immutable. You take all the sins of, a, of, of, of all history of man. All the sins to the present day. And you put them up against the grace that it took. You have not affected grace at all. It's immutable. It doesn't increase or decrease. You go down the Pacific Ocean, you take a five-gallon can, pull water out of it, you just diminish the Pacific Ocean by five gallons. All the sins of the world have not affected the grace of God. That blow your mind? <laughs> Amazing. Faith in the proclamation of the gospel to be the power of God unto salvation, as Paul says in 
Romans 1, 16 through 17. That's why he's not ashamed of the gospel. It can save the Jew and Gentile. The just shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. Faith in him to make me a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's what's on my dad's tombstone. I love it. New creation. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. He's buried your sins in the deepest ocean. Cast them as far as east as the west. Thank God he didn't say north and south. He put them behind his back and he can't see them. And he forgets them. Now try to figure all that out theologically. <laughs> there is none good, no, not one. All are sinners, fall short of the glory, and need salvation through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Anybody who confuses that or waters it down is an enemy of God. An enemy of God. The picture of a herald is used throughout the New Testament, as you know. And he was one who was hired by the king or the state to make proclamations. Now the message was not his, it was given to him what to proclaim. The authority was vested to him, he had no authority in himself. And the only responsibility was to proclaim it. He was not responsible for the people's response to the proclamation. Such is my responsibility. The message is not mine, it's been given to me. I have no authority in myself. My authority is limited by the gospel. It's vested to me. And I am not responsible for your response. Though I look for a response, I expect a response, and I know there will be a response. You will accept or you will reject. Whether I see it or not, doesn't matter. The word accomplishes what it's purpose for. And so I rest in God. Because He's the one that saves. He's the one who convicts. He's the one who deals with us. So I can rest in my call. I don't have to compete. I don't have to perform. I'm just called to be faithful, you understand? But that's what you're called to do. No different. The tendency for man is to be a respecter of persons. This is natural. It can be regarding those who have money. So they're always in the privileged position. Regarding those who are good looking, especially women. And in our flesh, we all have those tendencies, so we have to be real careful, right? Regarding those of social status, political fame, or popular lifestyles. James puts it this way in James 2, 1 through 5. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory with partiality. For if there comes into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in one a poor man of filthy clothes, and you pay attention to one wearing the fine clothing, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor, you stand over there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brother, God has not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those whom he, uh, he loves? Yes. So I have to be real careful. First come, first serve. We're just open to what God is doing here. We attempt to respect no one, literally. And too many people are used to churchianity instead of Christianity. And they want special favor or something. You won't get it here. But we're here to serve you. Whatever we can do. The danger is to socialize the gospel of the kingdom today. Preaching politically correct gospel that offends no one. Therefore, it saves no one. 
the seeker-friendly church movement is a good example today. Avoiding mentioning things like sin, fornication, adultery, the issues of the scriptures, repentance, and all of that. You stay away from real popular, good works. The emergent church movement we've talked about, attempting to change the nature of the church. Replacing traditional Christianity by a so-called new reformation. Consisting of the unity of a variety of faiths to establish the kingdom, ignoring the exclusiveness of Christ alone as the Savior of the world and doctrine. That's heresy. Anathema, the strongest word damnation in the Greek, Paul says in Galatians. But people are embracing it. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans 1, 16-17. It's the power of God to salvation. Jew and Gentile. The preaching of the gospel is preaching of repentance towards God, ladies and gentlemen. To turn from sin, having a change of mind with a change of heart through the new birth. Even as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again and you will never see the kingdom of God. Don't make it broader. The gospel has never changed, never will change. Jude 3 says, deliver once and for all. You don't have to learn all the false gospels that are out there. Just learn the real one. The authentic one. And when the bad one comes along, you'll pick it up. A red flag will come up. You understand? The gospel will never change, regardless of how long Jesus tarries to come for his church. It is the same. Paul put it this way, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's the contrast. True conversion, salvation comes through repentance that changes your heart and your life. And you walk through power of the Spirit. You still have sin nature, but you can say no to sin. You can walk in the Spirit. You can walk in obedience. You understand? The sorrow of the world just goes back to the same old thing because it regrets that consequence. So the pastor should be like his master. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but to sinners to repentance. Don't forget the repentance. Not just sinners, sinners. No, sinners repent. Repentance. That's a dirty word today. From the pulpit. Too often. Jesus told Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because he has, he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19, 9 and 10. The pastor's service is thirdly to the sinner. You might be a sinner here today. God has allowed you to see who you are. You fall short of the glory of God. You're separated from God. You need to repent of your sins. You can only do it by calling on His name. If you're here and you don't know Him, God wants to save you. Paul the Apostle has expressed the priorities of the pastor in the service of the gospel. The pastor's service is first to God. The pastor's service, secondly, is to the church. And the pastor's service, thirdly, is to the sinner. They're in the order. And that will never change. And if we change it, we will destroy the gospel. It'll become our church, not the church of Jesus Christ. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, closing with a summary of the pastor's role in maintaining scriptural priorities in serving the gospel, as presented in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And with just the few moments we have left, we're delighted to let you know copies of today's study titled The Pastor's Priorities Regarding the Gospel are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Pastor's Priorities Regarding the Gospel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Growing pains are inevitable, but next time we'll see that they're what God uses in the lives of His children in the transformation into the likeness of Christ. Hope you'll join Pastor Xavier Reese next time for more Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com